Hello, this is Ron Falk for the American Society of Nephrology and welcome to Kidney Week 2012. It's beautifully sunny and warm and nice in this gorgeous city, San Diego. We appreciate everyone who took the very special effort to get through Hurricane Sandy and all the travel disruptions that it caused. We hope that those involved in that area are faring well. I have today with me Dr. Amy Williams from Mayo Clinic in Minnesota and Dr. Sharon Moe from Indiana University, who is also a member of ASN Council and soon to be president-elect. Good afternoon, Dr. Williams, and good afternoon, Dr. Moe. So, Amy, you were very much involved in some of the earlier programs before the ASN general meeting took off. What were your impressions of those programs? Very dynamic. What I love about the early programs is that often they are the younger nephrologists that are there, people that are early in their careers, and they are trying to grasp as much information as possible. I was involved in the professional development seminar, and it was wonderful. We had a number of nephrologists who are just starting out their careers trying to decide what to do as the next step to have a successful career, learning basic skills that they need, how to give a presentation, how to negotiate contracts, how to communicate in a style that will work for anybody that they're talking to, how to have critical conversations, how to manage their time, and how to pick a mentor. Also, how to be a leader because I believe all nephrologists lead their labs, they lead their work groups, they lead their offices, they lead their dialysis units. And so gaining some of those basic leadership skills can be very helpful as you develop your career. So both of you are incredibly successful and productive uh, women in nephrology. Sharon, how have you managed to do all the things that Dr. Williams has suggested were talked about in the professional development symposium. Strong mentorship along the way has been key. Um, learning by example and following those who were my leaders and my mentors as a trainee and as a junior faculty to really see how working with people and appreciating, listening to all of the issues that are going on makes you a better leader yourself. So listening and then leading by example is, I think, the best traits that we as physicians can have. And that goes for both trainees, for junior faculty, and for our patients. I think it's very important to also listen and educate depending upon what they want to hear. That's one of the best things about coming to the ASN Kidney Week is the networking meeting people that you otherwise would never meet, watching them at the podium, watching how they handle questions, listening to how they are innovative, and they bring different areas together to further the science. One of the other early programs that was new this year was a course aimed at training people to be medical directors of dialysis units. Dr. Lazarus was the leader of that course and it appears to have been very well received as a vehicle to train young people coming out of their training or perhaps those who now wish to be medical directors of dialysis units on all the rules, regulations, policies, procedures, and 
not to mention just good old how to take care of patients in dialysis programs. It's really, really important that that training occur. I think there are too many individuals who go out unprepared to really face that burden of regulatory paperwork. They don't know what to do. They haven't been taught that piece. And there's so much that we need to teach during our fellowships. I, I think, and to a certain extent, some of those uh, nuts and bolts details of how to run things can get lost. And it's more than just managing a dialysis unit. It is influencing the nurses in the dialysis unit, the other physicians that may have patients in the dialysis unit. Those are skills that they also tried to touch on in that symposium. And quality, making sure that that actually, that what you do actually improves the quality of the patients that you're caring for. It's really population management. The opening session today had a beautiful discussion by David Sachs on tolerance. He has been a leader in trying to figure out how to transplant humans now with an approach using chimerism, bone marrow, and in this case, a kidney. And what was fantastic to hear in that session was that uh, there were at least seven out of ten patients who now really had been cured of their kidney disease with long-term allograft survival uh, without any uh, immunosuppression at all. One wonders why, now that that process is understood, the drugs are available, the approach seems pretty straightforward, relatively speaking, why that's not being applied across the world. What do you think would be the next step to sort of nudge that kind of transplant experience in your institution or elsewhere? I think that the lecture was fascinating, and it was a perfect example of translational research. An esteemed investigator who has spent years in the laboratory with mice and doing research that actually is going to have the ultimate goal of helping a patient. And that next step going into clinical trials is very, very difficult. So as someone who does trials, I think having the confidence behind doing larger trials that um, bring the confidence to all of your fellow nephrologists, trials outside of your own institution, trials with different types of patients, with different backgrounds, really thoroughly evaluating that with efficacy and safety is, is really important. And that's a, unfortunately a slow process, but it's one that we all must work hard to actually do. There's a study that compiled clinical trials from a number of sources, and the conclusion of that study was that, in fact, the early studies suggested a good outcome, and then subsequent studies essentially refuted the original observation, begging the question, how can we in nephrology do better studies early on so that later the confirmatory study doesn't actually refute the original observation. Well, I think that's why the scientific exchange that goes on at the ASN is so perfect. We actually can come and we can hear and talk to each other at posters. How did you do that? I tried to do it this way, but it didn't work. That networking, that one-on-one -on -one ability in front of a poster to actually talk through your science with somebody who's been trying it. Maybe you've thought about doing that experiment, but you weren't quite sure how to approach it. Now you can talk to somebody and figure out how to do it. 
I think joining together at a meeting like this allows us to actually share methodologies. And the more we share methodologies and nuances on how you do these, the more reproducible the data will be. Because unfortunately, when we publish, things get truncated. And so sometimes the reproducibility isn't there because a the detail wasn't there. The next step going forward with the clinical trials also requires networking. It requires that we all band together that we all work to achieve a similar goal. And sometimes it requires that we actually talk through that goal because we don't always start with the same opinion. The interaction between industry and academia is one that I've, I talked about today, but is one that really needs to appreciate the conflict of interest issues, but yet work through them so that whatever clinical trial does occur gets the best out of industry and the best out of academia because the hope has to be that with the meeting of both of those groups and their minds that patient care will improve. But there are so few drugs in the kidney space that the more we get, the better. I agree. A big part of that will be building trust between academia and industry because right now there isn't that trust there. And when you design a trial with them, people are very hesitant to believe that because they believe the outcomes or even the, the purity of the design because there's not that trust factor there. We need some fast wins. I think that draws perfectly into the, the KHI initiative, the Kidney Health Initiative, bringing everyone to the table up front, transparently, talking about the problems that we face when we're conducting clinical research, where we want to be down the road in terms of what kind of trials and what, what disease components of nephrology we want to work for is absolutely essential. The Kidney Health Initiative, for those of you who may not have heard about it yet, is an interaction between the FDA, ASN, industry, patient support groups, and other government agencies in which the FDA and ASN are really trying to promote a collaborative relationship where drugs, devices, biologics, and food products are entered into our space, not on a singular effort, but over and over again until we can come out with guideposts or guidance documents that allow industry to have a much easier time of getting a drug or a device from concept into market with an organized fashion. So I have to say, Ron, that your opening discussion talk this morning was one of the most exciting, invigorating talks that I've heard in nephrology in a long time. You used the 40th anniversary of the Medicare ESRD Act to enthuse us to actually work and aspire to be better nephrologists, to train more uh, physician scientists, to train more nephrologists, and to really be focused on that cure, on making the patient's lives better. The message you gave to many people throughout their careers in the audience, no matter where they are in their career, is that nephrology is dynamic. A career in nephrology is exciting. It's not a dying practice. We can lead the way when it comes to quality, when it comes to improving our patients' outcomes, and what really means something to our patients. Last night at the resident and student reception, I saw some of that young enthusiasm, and I hope 
that they took away from your talk, how much potential there is in the field of nephrology to make patient lives better. I'm glad you both liked it. I spent a lot of time trying to think of it. I think the idea of restoring health is a in a, word, in a meaningful way is a word choice that I think means more actually than the word cure on some level. The goal that we all have to have is to restore the health of, of those we serve. And we can do it. We can. And it was perfectly represented by the plenary speaker having a video of a young girl who had had an initial transplant with horrible reactions to the immunosuppressives and then his new tolerance protocol and how different her life had been as a result of that science that led to the translation, that led to the trial, that led to improving her life. But it is such a big leap from the way we do transplants now to transplants in the future that it's going to take a large study, as Sharon Moe just said, that is well-designed, that have many people participating in it to convince colleagues that this is really the right thing for their patients because the outcomes right now are as good as they are. Except the outcomes right now, as good as they are, with excellent five-year patient and graft survival, are associated with lots of immunomodulatory drugs. And, the, and they're costly. They're costly. And the, the whole kidney community has to push forward and try to figure out how to do that, which David Sachs talked about. I think that's true in dialysis, too. I think sometimes the fact that we can dialyze makes people settle for that as the ultimate treatment. We, Whereas we can always dialyze better. As I explained to my patients, the kidney works 24-7. So for us to think that we can do it a few hours a week and make you feel the same, it's just not going to happen. The poster session today with dialysis looked at that. How can we improve our patient's outcome? I think that the changes in reimbursement and paid-for-performance for dialysis are forcing us to do better to do better for our patients and look at the meaningful outcomes for our patients, not just settle for three times a week dialysis, but patient-centered, delivered dialysis that's right for the individual patient. Don't you think, though, at some point we have to explore the possibility that our current dialysis approach, the whole approach, needs to be rethought. And in other words, we've tried. The, the Ben Lips uh, presentation was interesting because the ASN Foundation for Kidney Research includes as its centerpiece right now the Ben Lips Fellowship Program. And what's interesting is, is that Ben Lips grew up uh, making a hollow fiber dialyzer. That was sort of the, an interesting part of this whole 40-year you know, perspective. But at some point, you have to ask the question, all right, there has to be some other approach to removing toxins and water that doesn't rely on a hollow fiber or that movement of toxins and water down a concentration gradient. Is it a sorbent? Is it some new material uh, with all the changes in nano and material science, you have to ask the question, can't we build a different dialysis platform? And we have to get industry interested in doing that. They can't just stay doing the same kind of procedure. I agree with you, Dr. Williams, that pay for performance is going to improve quality. 
But if we're really going to restore the health of those we serve, we need a better mousetrap, something really different. Right. Innovation is key. It always is. And I think that's what makes science fun is because we always have to think outside the box or outside the membrane, if you want to take that analogy further. And we, we have to think about, again, what does nature tell us the kidney needs to do? And by understanding how the kidney functions, we can better design that mousetrap to better emulate what the kidney actually is doing. There was actually a couple posters today, one looking at a um, phosphate absorbent membrane that was of interest, and another one where there was an oral absorbent in an animal model that actually relieved quite a bit of the uremic toxins that we normally have to clear through dialysis. So I think there are the beginnings of some of that innovation, and I think the Kidney Health Initiative will further inspire industry to make that move forward. It's also possible that all these populations that we serve are really fundamentally different. There's a study today that describes the fact that in 5,000-some-odd patients, the African-American population included roughly 10 to 12% of patients who had a hemoglobinopathy, sickle cell trait, or SC disease, and they appeared to be erythropoietin-resistant or require more erythropoietin, and perhaps our approach with quality standards of one size fits all is also uh, not necessarily the best, the best approach. There may be differences in populations that we just can't figure out at present that really need different kinds of quality measures, for example. I mean, I think we've already seen substantial differences in parathyroid hormone targets or at least relationship to bone in African-Americans versus Caucasian populations. And I think some of this is actually based on genomics. And there was a whole series of posters today as well just exploring the various polymorphisms that may actually then contribute to disease as well as some of the epigenetics that change the way the patient may respond to certain things. And so I think, again, that's an important part of discovery and innovation that we have a long ways to go, but it's exciting to think that we can begin that personalized and individualized therapy. And it's not just race involvement, but it's also as an individual ages. What happens during that aging process and what is good for somebody in their 20s is not the same as it is in their 80s. And understanding that aging process better, we can better define interventions to help individuals be as healthy as they can for as long as possible. And there are other environmental pressures. So there was a discussion today on diet that the use of fruits and vegetables uh, provided the same efficacy as medication in altering acidosis in patients with uh, chronic kidney disease. So part of what we are is what we eat or drink, as the case may be. And that phenomenon is not beautifully well articulated either. There's a lot of food additives in, our, in what we eat that we don't even really know what they do. In particular, we don't know how the kidney handles them. So understanding how these food products actually may adversely affect kidney patients in particular is a, a very, very open area of study. The addition of phosphorus to uh, liquid beverages is an additive 
that we can't even measure. It's not on any of the nutritional labeling. No, it's an ingredient, but it's not quantified, and it's in under the category of the generally regarded as safe. And yet it's a, it's a major problem for patients with kidney disease to the point where some patients have to take 20 pills a day to actually keep the phosphorus level down, but then the food industry can add phosphorus without having to measure it. So there's something wrong with that, and we need to really examine what that is. And again, that's really important why the Kidney Health Initiative includes the food safety branch of the FDA as well. And that is a great example of increasing the cost of medicine. Mm -hmm. The average number of pills that a dialysis patient takes is 28. 28 pills a day. And if many of those pills or at least a third, are to bind things or to counteract what we eat, think of the cost mm -hmm. savings if they can cut those pills out, specifically phosphate binders. Or allow the person to eat things that, that they like or that improve their nutrition mm -hmm. rather than drinking uh, empty calories or bottles of water that may be loaded with additives that we don't know about including antibiotics, and then the allergic reaction to antibiotics, or antibiotics that may be toxic to the kidneys, that they give chickens to relax them now so they can have more in a pen. It's those sorts of things that we don't even know what our patients are taking in. So we nephrologists really need to get involved in the whole area of nutrition and food safety, dietary supplements, and then hopefully nutritional labeling. That also speaks to the trust level of what we actually have with our patients so that many patients actually turn to alternative supplements, to health foods, not even really knowing the potential for them to be harmful to their kidneys. And so improving and enhancing our communications with patients about nutrition and supplements is also key. Another area that ASN and nephrology in general needs to remain on the forefront of are issues pertaining to patient safety. Uh, Dr. Williams, you ran the patient safety task force that dealt with the American Board of Internal Medicine Choosing Wisely campaign. Can you just tell us a little bit about it and what the consequences of it were? Certainly. The campaign was a collaboration between the American Board of Internal Medicine Foundation and Consumer Reports. And they asked nine subspecialty organizations to come forward with five recommendations each, telling physicians what they should stop doing. They asked for procedures that are either overused or inappropriately used or could cause harm, tests that are either overused or could cause harm or not appropriately used, and therapies that may not be appropriately used or could cause harm. Those were the categories that they asked for. The ASN recommended five things that would have a significant impact on just about anybody with chronic kidney disease. And those were to avoid NSAIDs, they were to avoid using too much erythrocyte stimulating uh, material. What were the other three? The other three were to avoid pick lines, peripherally inserted central catheters, and, and to preserve one extremity for AV fistula creation later on, because that is the patient's lifeline. 
The other is to have critical, honest conversations with patients about options, making sure that the patient's goals and preferences for their health care are taken into consideration before starting dialysis. The other one was not to do cancer screening in individuals who had a very short life expectancy on dialysis. I'm going to ask each of you one last question before we stop. You both are very experienced at going through the ASN meeting, and today during the plenary session, the room seats 5,000 and there was standing room only. The poster sessions are jammed. As a matter of fact, it's hard to get through them to a certain extent. What would you tell a young person how best to interact with this wonderful yet massive meeting? I would say there are two different strategies you can take, but for both of those strategies, you need to map out what you're going to do every day before that day starts. One strategy is to go find out everything you can about a certain track or what you are really passionate about, what you see your career focusing on. The other, for those that are going to be doing maintenance of certification and retaking their boards, go to things that you need to learn about because you don't particularly do that every day anymore. So what are your gaps? We all know what our gaps are. What are the gaps? And fill those gaps with the knowledge that you need. I would say, particularly for a young scientist, to go through the posters and be bold and brave and introduce yourself. Introduce yourself to someone who has a name tag and a name that you remember, because they'll remember you for actually introducing yourself. Talk to people at the poster and make that effort to introduce. It's scary. It's scary at first. I remember being in that situation. But now I think it's really fun to go up and introduce myself to young junior faculty, and, and they're like, oh, I've read your paper. That's a really positive thing from both directions. So be bold and brave. It's important for the presenter to engage individuals passing by right. and not to sit as though they are trying to avoid anybody coming up to say anything to them. And offer to read the poster for them because I can tell you after about 30 of them, you'd love someone to just tell you what it's about instead of having to read all the... Tell you what is the most important yes. thing. The exactly. take-home message from this poster Smile a lot and bring your card. Yeah. Introduce yourself, network, and make sure that everybody knows how you can help them. So, Dr. Williams and Dr. Mo, thank you so much for joining us on this, the first day of the ASN podcast series. This is Ron Falk for the American Society of Nephrology. Thanks so much. <laughs>